So it's been a, been a happy couple of weeks. Um, babies uh, being born. The Bosch family had a baby boy. Is it Jacob? Jacob. Baby boy Jacob. It's a good name. Is he here today? Is he, is he, in, the, is he in, the, in the room? Is he sleeping? Hold, hold him up so we can all see the little guy. Ah, uh, look at that. Amen. Well, Jacob, thank the Lord. I'm so thankful for him and his family. Abigail Grace Brown, and she's in church today, too. Might as well see her. So wake her up and, you know, let's take a look there. Look at that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Matt and Jenny Brown. Now, Pray for Debbie Mulcrone because she's going to have trouble now because she's got two little girls to spoil and she's she's cut a wide path on spoiling. And so I don't know. That's going to be tough, right? you have any other little babies that I didn't talk about? Because we should always just stop. Oh, that's right. I like that. So this is Lincoln Elliot. How, how old is he? Well, let's hold him up, too. Ah. Uh, ah, uh, look at that. Aaron. <laughs> thank you, Jim, for pointing that out. Ah, uh, thank the Lord. I think we probably ought to just stop right now and worship the Lord and thank Him for that. Lord, we just want to thank You. We never want to take little babies for granted. We want to thank You for them. And for the faith and confidence you've given to their parents to bring little children to the world, that the world would go on, and that, um, Lord, for these children, that they would, they would follow you all the days of their life, and that their, their parents would be deeply devoted to you and rely upon you for the strength they're going to need to raise them for the Lord. And we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. And then, you know, we normally try to not think about the pews that are empty on Sunday, but... We do have one that's empty. Max Hammer would, would normally like to be with us, and, and he went to be with the Lord. On Thursday morning, real early in the morning, and Carolyn's here and some of the family. And Max really, when he was passing, he had a very, very tender heart. Uh, he especially was witnessing and actually leading people to the Lord in the hospital. He was expressing his love and tenderness. He did that for me, and that meant a lot to me. He he talked about the flourishing of this church and what it meant to him. And he, often, and he has a, had a very strong confidence in the Lord as his Savior. And he thrilled that all of his children and grandchildren knew the Lord, all of them. And he mentioned that over and over again. He even mentioned, he even mentioned how he told his wife, I think when she was five, that they were going to get married. And that's got to be a record. I don't know if anybody pulled that off. When she was five. And so she's going to need encouragement and, and support and comfort, even though a very strong family. But um, the funeral or the memorial service is going to be right here at 11 in the morning. And so I wanted, wanted you to know about that, if you didn't already know about that. Well, I, I just got back from a little visit to uh, Canada. So those of you who are Canadians, I, I got to tell you what a beautiful place Ontario is. Judy, were you from Ontario or? Yeah thought about that. What a beautiful, beautiful place. Went up toward Georgian Bay and met with a huge group of families. Um, 
just a delightful time up there. And this uh, church has asked me to come back uh, just maybe four or five times um, for different things. And so we just enjoy being with them. And what they will do is they will often have folks visit our church. And they'll just show up a few weeks ago. They showed up and, uh, and they uh, visit with us and we have fellowship with them. And they're the most unique group. So years and years ago, they're Dutch people that immigrated many generations ago to southern Mexico. And they had a colony there that was uh, Amish or Mennonite colony, a very, very, very strict sect of Mennonite uh, or Amish people who really had lost their grip on the gospel. They didn't know the gospel. They had a lot of rules and they had a lot of like legalism and they didn't have the gospel. And a missionary came from Alberta. One single missionary couple came from Western Canada down into these mountains in this colony and began to do some missionary work and it didn't really take hold. And no one believed, and for a long, long time, they just labored there until finally some folks were excommunicated from the church. And these people that were excommunicated for things like having rubber tires on their wagons and so forth, they they migrated into this little church where the missionaries had started. And then for a number of years, that's all they had, just a little tiny church. And then the Holy Spirit breathed on that whole area, and then they started to see people come to know the Lord. And a large number of people came to faith in Christ. So many came to know the Lord that they needed to leave the colony because the colony was controlled by the church. And so they migrated uh, to Canada, and they are in Port Burwell, Canada. And a friend of mine, Pastor Henry Weeb, is the, is the pastor there. And now they've started five different churches. And so here you have people that look Dutch, who speak fluent Spanish and sing the most haunting and beautiful Spanish songs. When they sing Spanish songs, you just cry. You have no idea what they're singing, but you know it's about Jesus, and, they, and it's just so beautiful. And they speak low German. They speak uh, like Pennsylvania Dutch, low German. So it's a crazy bunch to be around. I'll, talk, I'll tell you something else about them in, in my message. I had a little story to tell you, but I wanted to thank you as a church. You know, I have some weeks of, a couple of weeks of outside speaking, and because I've been in ministry a long time, some vacation. So I usually take the vacation, some of the vacation and the outside speaking, and I get to go a little bit and just... You know, tell the stories that I couldn't tell here again and, uh, and preach the gospel and pray for people and be with them and listen. And, and, and the Lord just seems, that just seems to be what God has allowed me to do kind of for a hobby or something. Every once in a while, somebody asks me to sit on a board. And if you sit on a board with me, you know that that's not my favorite thing to do. And I'm not all that good at it anyway. And so they'll ask me, am I right, Jerry? Pastor Jerry and I sit on a board. And then I complain to him all the way home. <laughs> he has to listen to me complain about sitting on the state board. And I'm like, I'm never going to do that again. Not that it's not good. It's just that those guys don't do anything I say. And so I'm like, I must not be good at this. Because when I have ideas, they just go, yeah, whatever. And then they go on to the next thing. Am I right? It's true. Pastor Jerry's not going to agree with that. But it's true. It's exactly what they do. And then I just think, the only thing good about that meeting was the pizza they had at lunch. And so I'm not going to go on any boards. But if, any, if a group says, hey, we've got some kids here in the mountains and they come out of homes that are tough and would you come and tell stories about Jesus and would you ask them to be saved? And I go do that. When I walk away, they're crying. And I'm like, well, that works. I don't know why, but it works. So thank you so much, church, for letting me have a little time. I have one more week this, this year and it's next week I'll go to Barakal and speak up there. I've done that 18 years in a row. And, and uh, you know, I, I want you to know that, you know, you allowing me to do that um, and the other pastors and deacons and others that help, you know, cover things while I'm gone, uh, 
I just want you to know when I'm doing that, it's like twice a day. I am pouring my heart out for Christ's sake and for people. And it's an extension of you and your ministry because you pay me and you let me do that. And I just want to tell you thank you. I, I, I love doing that. It's funner than golf, and I'm better at it than golf. And actually a lot better than golf. And am I right, Zach? And, uh, and so... So thank you so much. That's an extension of your ministry. I pray for you while I'm gone. I know you got a lot of things going on. We had Thrive here the other night. A lot of things going on ministry-wise. we got VBS coming up. That's just huge. And so a lot of ministry that's happening with all of us. We're all trying to, you know, the guiding hands and all of that. We're all trying to just keep our, you know, serve the Lord and, and, and do eternal things. And so I'm praying for you too. And um, so those are just little housekeeping things. So next Sunday, what's going to happen, it's the 3rd of July. And when you get to the end of the week up at Barakel, they have camps on both sides of the lake. And they bring all the campers together and all the staff together and all the workers together on Sunday morning. And, the, and for 18 years now, they've asked me to preach uh, in that meeting. That's a beautiful meeting. And so I'll, I'll get to do that next Sunday morning. I won't be here. However, we have arranged for the great bearded one to preach here. You know who the great bearded one is? That would be my son, Kyle, who got hair from the other side of the family. And he has, this, he has this wonderful beard. So what do you think, Bob, Harold? Are you okay on that? Bob's okay with that. So, hey, it'll be a treat. I know what Kyle's going to talk to you about. I know it comes out of his heart. So our son, our oldest son, Kyle, will preach here next Sunday. If you don't come, you are not my friend. Okay, no. No, come for Jesus. That's the way you want to come to church. And I hope that's a, a, a real refreshment I know about that. So that's all the commercials there and the little chatter of that. I wanted to, the, the kind of the housekeeping family talk that I wanted to give, and, and now I have a few minutes left to take you to tell you something that's just so incredibly important. So I'm thinking about making an invention and making a lot of money on it. If it works, you guys won't have to pay me. Um, here's what I'm thinking about making, a refrigerator that has a lock on it that locks like it after 6 o'clock at night, and you can't get into the refrigerator. Yeah, it's a good idea, isn't it? Think about that, because, you know, if that's the time of night when you, know, you even know what you want. You just walk over and open, right? How many times at night you walk over the refrigerator, you open it open, you don't know what you're getting. You don't even know what you went there for. You just want something, you know? So you sit there and you look and you go, I don't, I don't know what I want, but I want something. Can I tell you a secret? So I go to this camp. They're awesome people. They're just precious. But they're camping out, right? They get me a dorm, but they're all camping out. Pastor goes, you are not going to lack for food, man. You can eat anywhere. Last, like sometimes when it's men, they serve bear and moose, and that's all fun. But in, and so they're all ca- camping out, and they're all cooking, and they're just like, go, go to any circle, and any of them will feed you. Well, socially, that's kind of weird, you know, because you're kind of like, so high. <laughs> you know? And you know, I'm used to eating regular, you know? And so I, I'm, you kind of go, how you doing? And they're like, would you like something to eat? Well, you know, if I always ate in front of people, I would be skinny, Right? Because I don't eat a lot in front of people. I wait until nobody's around. Then I'm like, clear out of the, you know, and then I'm going to eat everything in sight. And so you don't eat that much. And the last night I was really hungry. I shouldn't be telling you this. But the last night I was so hungry that when I got to the Friday night thing, I got to the end of my talk. And I literally said, hey, it's been great. I've loved talking to you. Invite me to your fire. Feed me something. And I'll talk with you tonight. I was like, hint, hint, you know, because I'm used to eating at night something. And, and so somebody, they invited me to the fire. This one family, they were the nicest people. I hope this recording doesn't get out, it would be really bad. So they had this bag of Doritos. It was like you got it at Costco or something. It was this huge bag of nacho flavored Doritos, which are amazingly good, right? They're just like, they're good for you and they're healthy and they're just huge. And they were passing this bag back and forth 
uh, you know, they were, and they were like right this, they were this close, and I was sitting by the fire, and they were passing this bag back and forth, and they never offered me any, not even one time. They were like, the husband would get, he'd get his, he'd pass it to his wife. They would be talking to me, very wonderful, fine. If they wrote this recording, they're going to kill me. Anyway, and then the kids, and I went to bed, like, that was it. And so when I, so I drive out of Canada, it takes about three hours. The first thing I do is I stop at a gas station, and I go in, and I grab my own bag of nacho-flavored little one. And so anyway, that was all. And it was, so if I could make a refrigerator that would lock at night, it would save me, it would save me a lot of calories, and it might make me a lot of money. What do you think? Because we could do that. Because sometimes you just want something, you don't know what it is. That's the way it is a lot in life. You ever notice that? There's something missing, I don't know what it is. There's something I want, I can't really quite tell you what it is I want. Solomon was this way. If you look in the book of Ecclesiastes, you can see this. That Solomon, he had about everything you could have. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And he had about everything a guy could ask for. He was tremendously uh, gifted. He was tremendously wealthy, right? Just track with me just a little bit. Solomon, every imaginable pleasure in, in Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 3, he says, I said in my heart, come now, Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 3, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. That means like partying, you know. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But this is empty, he says. This is vanity. I said of laughter. It's madness. Of mirth. It, what does it accomplish? And I searched my heart to gratify my flesh with wine. Which is really interesting because people haven't really, there's not much variety when it comes to, you know, fleshly indulgence. People are still doing the same thing. I'll party, I'll drink wine. Oh, I partied, I drank wine. It didn't help. I, the laughter didn't really make me joyful. Solomon had every imaginable pleasure. Solomon had money and things. I oh, my goodness, Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 8. I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards, I made gardens, I made orchards, I planted fruit trees. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male, female servants, servants born in my house, greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. And I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings of the provinces. And I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, musical instruments of all kinds. Imagine this. That's wealth. You can have a big party. You can bring in a band. You can have food. You can have people waiting on your every need and still be empty. That's what Solomon said. Solomon had every imaginable pleasure. Solomon had money and things. Solomon had fame and friends. Look at chapter 2 and verse 9. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem, and my wisdom remained with me. Everybody knew him. He was famous. He was well-known, popular. But Solomon did not have joy or satisfaction in those things. Somebody says, money is not going to make you happy. Somebody says, I'd like to just try. That's what Lois says all the time. I know money will not make me happy, but I would just like to try it out anyway. You know, I always pick on Lois. That's how you do it. Yeah, it's like, but none of you ever thought that, right? I know that money would not make me happy, but I would like to see if I'm the exception to the rule. Well, Solomon was not the exception to the rule. He had all this, and it didn't satisfy him. It didn't give him a lasting pleasure. And it says so in verses 10 and 11 of Ecclesiastes 2. Whatever my heart, my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure... 
for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. This was my reward for my labor. And I looked on all the works that my hands had done, on the labor in which I had toiled, and it was all vanity and grasping for wind, and there was no profit under the sun. You ever feel that way when you're going off to work? You know, what am I doing this for? You know, going to work, some money, pay my bills, so I can go back to work, get a little short weekend, a little week or two a year, and then get back to work. And, and if you're not careful, your life can feel so very empty. And then you're just standing kind of looking into the existential refrigerator of life going, I want something, but I don't know what it is I want. All right, when to talk about how often, in, so, and, and here's the why. Here's why that is, though. And Solomon says it in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. It's chapter 4 and verse 11. Chapter 3 and verse 11. Solomon says why that is. And he says it kind of like this. He says, because man, men and women have what the Bible calls you have eternity in our hearts, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. He made everything beautiful in his time, and he put eternity in their hearts. The reason that nothing in this world can satisfy us completely is because, right, what we said before, is because we were made for another world. So that's why, right? Nothing will ever fully and completely and totally satisfy us. We'll always be left with a kind of a soul hunger there because we were made for eternity. So my granddaughter, Kira, came in the other day and somebody bought her an Elsa dress. I don't know if that was a good idea. Now she has the power to freeze you. So she came in and she goes, like that, and goes, freeze. And she goes, I have the power to freeze. What powers do you have? I didn't know what to say. I put it on the Internet to get some help from other people. Liz, I think you told me, tell her you have the power to unfreeze everything she freezes. That's really smart. She was really frustrated when I said that. She just kind of like, wait a minute, that's not fair. Okay, here's what you need, though. When you're, when you're staring into the refrigerator of life and you kind of don't know what it is that doesn't, because you're not really totally happy, satisfied, you need special powers is what you need. You need some special powers. Like when you're playing a video game and you pick up that special powers and then you can do things that you couldn't do before. This is really what you need. And you know what those special powers are that you need? The Bible uses a term that we often have. It's just so abstract that we don't even really pay attention to what it means. And it's so it's throughout the Scripture, but we often just overlook the power of it because it's just so common and it's not very concrete. So it's hard to get our... So I'm going to call it like special powers. Or like special glasses. You ever go and you see a movie and you get the 3D glasses and you see things you couldn't see before. So what the Bible says you need when you're staring into the refrigerator and you're, and you're not satisfied or you're struggling to, to, to find the joy and the satisfaction and the meaning and the purpose in life that you're supposed to have or you're going through troubles and you don't know how to untangle them or you don't know how to use your money for sure and you've got all these questions that are clustering. The Bible says you need special powers. And the Bible calls the special power you need, are you ready for this? Faith. That's what it says. You need to be able to see what you can't see in the physical, in the flesh. You need to be able to see in spiritually what you can't see physically. And that is called faith. I like to call that eternity vision. Imagine that you had special glasses that when you don't have these glasses on, you just see people, and you see things, and you see problems, and you see trouble. You just, wherever you look, you just see what's going on in the physical, in the material universe. 
But then you get your special powers. You get your eternity vision glasses. When you put your eternity vision glasses on, which the Bible calls faith, and you look at the same world you are looking at through the eyes of faith, suddenly you see so much more that's going on. You don't just see your troubles. You don't just see your opportunities. You don't just see your enemies. You don't just see people. You see things the way God sees things. You see demons, and you see angels, and you see heaven, and you see hell, and you see what God is doing, and you see what the evil one is doing. And the whole world goes from black and white to color when you see the world with your special powers of faith. When you put on the glasses, if you will, of eternity vision. We'll talk about that just a little bit, and I want to show you where it says this in a, just a few places. I mean, it's all throughout the Bible. But take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. And you know this, but it's helpful to look at Hebrews chapter 1, kind of using this special, I'm sorry, it's chapter 11, of course, Hebrews chapter 11, using this special terminology that we're using today that it might kind of jolt us into a kind of recognition that we haven't had before. So look at Hebrews 11, and here's what it says about faith. It says this, now faith, it's the substance of things that we hope for, which is like a confidence of things that are out in the future. Substance of things that are hoped for, and what does it say? It says then after that, what does it say? It's the evidence of things, what? Not seen. How many times have you read this, and it just kind of went zip over your head, and it really didn't make any sense to you? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, blah, 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 you know, you just, you, it just kind of sounds like, again, like adults on peanuts talking, they're making noise, but you're not really paying attention to what they're saying, right? Faith is substance. Faith, the word is abstract. It's hard to kind of, you can't taste it or touch it or smell it or hear it. It's abstract. But faith is the substance of what we hope for in the future. And it is the evidence of what we cannot see. And then, whoever wrote Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it, goes through a whole list of heroic people who were common people, common people like you and I, with their faults, with their failures, with their troubles, with their sickness, having lost family members, being persecuted, wayward kids, whatever it is, and yet with faith, they did amazing things, and their stories are worth reading. That's why it says, these obtained a good report. I love that. You know what that means? I like this. These obtained a good report is another way of saying their lives were worth reading about. Their stories were heroic stories, common people with all kinds of problems like you and I have, whatever you're going through, and yet add those glasses of, I see the world the way God sees the world. I look at my trouble through eyes of faith. I look at my enemies through eyes of faith. I look at irritating people through the eyes of faith, through eternity vision. I have special powers to see the world and accomplish great things through Christ and my life will make great reading if I see my world through the eyes of faith. Who in the world would want to stumble through the world that we live in that's so dark and so dangerous without being able to see what God sees? How crazy is that? That we actually can, we have the promise that we can see the future if we look through the eyes of faith. That's just crazy. Why wouldn't you want that? That you can know what's valuable and all of that. Chapter 11, verse 1, evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. 
their lives made really good reading. Verse 3, things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please Him. Without eternity vision, without this special power of eternity vision, it's impossible to please God without faith, right? Because whoever comes to God's got to believe He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not seen. Christians are people with eternity vision that can spiritually see stuff that you can't see in the material world, and that makes all the difference, right? Verse 8, toward the end, Abraham obeys, not knowing where he's going. And you keep, keep moving, and you get to verse 13. These all died in faith. They all died with their eternity vision, with their faith glasses on. Not having received the promises yet, but having seen them afar off. So, Here's what the Bible's teaching us. The difference between people whose lives make really good reading because they accomplish really noble things, the difference between those people and the people whose lives really don't make good story are the people whose lives make really good story in the end are the ones who see things the way God sees them through the miraculous ability to see through the eyes of faith. They have eternity vision. And you can have that. And you, you shouldn't go a day without it, Right? Especially with all the stuff that we're going through. All the things that we're facing, and as hard as they are, you've got Moses, who's a great example of that, in chapter 11 and verse 23. The story of Moses, and it gets to the end, and it says about the choices that Moses made. Remember the choices that Moses had? He could have been in the king's family, or could have been in this poor immigrant family, right? He could be in the king's family, and he could live in the palace. He could have the red Mustang and all the girls and all of that. And the parties and all of that are over here. He can be like making bricks with all the slaves. But Moses had eternity vision. And he saw the future. And he said, wait a minute. This looks really good. But there's a hook in that bait. And I'm not taking it. I'm going to go over here and suffer affliction with the people of God. Because I can see Him who is invisible. That's what it says right there in Hebrews chapter 11. Do you see the invisible? When you look at the world that you're looking at, that you're living in, do you just see the material? Are you just like working for the almighty buck like the average guy? Are you just trying to milk a little happiness out of this present world without a regard for eternity? Is that what you usually talk about? Is that where you make your investments? Is that what you think about? Is that what you get excited about? Or do you have special powers? Eternity vision. Are you a person of faith? Real Christians are people of faith. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a good thing. Beautiful thing. I'll give you an example. Would you take your Bible and look at John 14 now? John 14. This is just sprung into my heart yesterday as I was thinking about you. And uh, look at John 14. I've never seen this before, and I'm so excited about showing it to you. Jesus is going to go away, right? And so when Jesus is going to go away, he, has a, a, he spends a long time preparing his disciples for his absence. And the fact that he's not going to be seen anymore. He's going to still exist. He's going to still work. He's going to still be involved, but he's not going to be seen. He's not going to be physically present anymore, and he's warning them about that. John 14, it's all good, but we don't have a lot of time. Verse 19, a little while longer, he says, and the world will see me no more. Then he says something crazy, but you will see me. What was that all about? Was he going to have a special appearance just to his disciples and nobody else would see him? Well, in the post-resurrection appearance, that would happen. But that's not what he was talking about. What was he talking about? 
When he said, in a little while, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. What was he talking about? He's talking about, say it, eternity vision. He's talking about faith. You're right. He'll see me in the eyes of faith. And then he says this. It's so interesting. He says, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. There's an amazing oneness he's promising. And then he says, and he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And then look at the next phrase. This is what jumped off the page yesterday. What does he say? And I will do what? Manifest myself to him. What does that mean? People will see me. He'll show up. He'll show himself to us. Okay, think about how exciting your life could get if Jesus starts manifesting himself to you all the time. I think it's pretty exciting, right? You're in a traffic jam. It's just you and the traffic jam. And all those knuckleheads that are between you and wherever you want to go. And where do they learn to drive anyway? Are these all people from Ohio? What's going on here, you know? You're just upset with these people. Because you're not, you don't have your faith glasses on. It's just you and the traffic jam. That's a boring way to live. Say, God, open my eyes. Look around. What's happening here? Angels, demons, heaven, hell, eternity. It's all going on, even in a traffic jam, right? And a Christian just wired differently because they have this special power of faith and eternity vision, especially when they're on task. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says, I will manifest myself to you who are keeping my commandments. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not just professing that, you know, you, you kind of got your get-out-of-hell-free pass, right? And you know, I'm a Christian, and then I go back to my regular secular-looking life with a little Jesus bumper sticker, but I'm basically living the same secular life, but I got the little Sunday I go, and like, yeah, whatever, pastor, I can endure 45 minutes of that. Now I'm back to my regular life, which is like lawn care and working and trying to keep my kids, you know, off the street and whatever. Yeah. And your life isn't like... But what if you had the eyes of faith? Wouldn't your heart beat faster and you'd have more purpose and meaning in your life? And an understanding of eternal life. That's what Jesus said you can have. I wouldn't want to go a day without Jesus and try to live in this world and think this world is all there is to it. That'd be so sad. That'd be so desperate. That'd be so depressing. That'd be so scary. That'd be so confusing. Are you kidding me? But I don't have to do that because I can see into the future. I know it's going to be valuable in the end. I know what is true. And I know who is good. And I know what to do because I have special powers. They were given to me by the Holy Spirit. I can see stuff. Other people can't see, especially when I'm on mission. He says, when you're obeying my commands, that's when I manifest myself to you. Which is interesting. Wind the tape back to the post-resurrection appearance on the mountain when he gave the Great Commission, which is recorded in Matthew, in chapter 28. And what did he say? Go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them. That's what our church is all about. Teach them to observe whatever I've commanded you, and, and I will be with you wherever you go, even to the end of the age while you're doing that. How many of you would like to have special powers? Not to freeze people, but special powers to see the future. That would be a great encouragement, wouldn't it? You'd know how to invest your time and money. You would, you would see beyond what's going on with irritating people. Your troubles would make so much more sense if you could just 
see the future. What did Jesus say? If you want to see the future, you have to be a believer who's engaged in the mission, and then he'll manifest himself to you. Can I recommend to you you do that? Because crazy stuff happens when you do it. Remember the story about the guy that went to church and he saw the woman up there and he felt like the Spirit told him to give, him, give her all the money in his wallet? I told this before, but I like it, so I'm telling it again. Give her all the money in your wallet. And so he looks at his wallet and he has $7. Remember that? He has $7. So he thinks, that's crazy. Why would God want me to give some lady, I don't know, $7? That's just kind of weird. So he puts his wallet back in his pocket and he tries to forget it, but that's just persistently he feels like he should do this. So he goes, okay, this is crazy. But he walks up and he taps her on the shoulder after church. And he says to her, you know, this is crazy. I don't know you and you don't know me. And while we were just singing, I just felt like a really strong impression that I should give you all the money in my wallet. And don't get excited because I only have $7. And when he said that, she burst into tears. And then through her tears and her sobbing, she said, I'm a single mom. And I needed to be here today. And I have no money. And I was talking with the Lord, what should I do? I want to be in church, but to get to church and back, I'd have to have at least $7 for gas. She said, I just feel like God said, go and I'll take care of you. She went to church and he took care of you. How many of you would give a testimony right now? That's the way it's been for you. Because there is a God and he does care about you. And he cares about others and he wants to use you in their lives. How would you like it if he would tell you when to give what, where, and what to do? And, and what if, what if God, what if you walked with God in such a real way that he manifested himself to you by telling you how to serve and he warned you about things you shouldn't do and he gave you direction in your life? Young man talks to me yesterday and he's got all kinds of options, great options. And he says, I need you to tell me what you think I should do. And this is what came to me. Let Jesus tell you that. Talk to the Lord, and He will guide you. In my lifetime, I could write, and I will, I'm writing a book. I'll write a book about the cool things that God does when you're on mission, and you're listening to His voice, and He's guiding you with His Word. When I married Lois, I gave her this little puny ring. I, I didn't have any money. If I, if I could have if I could have got her a big ring, Lois goes, well, get me a big ring right now, right? Get her a big ring. This is a little tiny ring, but I gave her this ring, and then she cherished this ring and kept this ring on her finger. And then we had this ceremony over there in West Willow in, in uh, Ypsilanti, and we had the little papers that we signed. So now we said, we're married now. I promised. Promised in front of your family. Promised in front of your church. Promised in front of your pastor. Promised in front of my family. You got the ring. It's, it's puny, but you have the ring, and you have the papers. So I got that done, and I don't need to... I don't need to talk to her anymore. I don't need to love her anymore. I don't need to give her any more gifts. That's good enough, right? Because she's got the ring. She's got the papers. It's all it's sealed. That's what you do when you're married, right? You don't give any more gifts. You don't ever take them out to eat anymore. You don't whisper sweet nothings in their ear. You don't talk nice about their mother. You don't do that stuff. You just, you just kind of you have it in. Do you, do you think Jesus loves you less than you love your wife? Jesus says, I am going to die for you. I'm going to give you my word. But he doesn't just give us his word and stop talking to his people. Jesus didn't just die on the cross, rise again, give the Bible, go to heaven, and then go silent. That's not what he said. He said, I'm going to bring things to your remembrance out of the word that you can actually govern your life by. I'm going to give you glasses that you can see the world like other people can't see. It says it right here in John, in chapter 14. And there are many places that say this, but I'll just show you this one. Verse 25, Jesus said, 
These things I have spoken to you while I was present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name. He will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all things I said to you. Just like I was out of town, and I was just driving along, and I saw this little shop. It's a, what it is is a junk flea market. It's where people put their old junk they don't want anymore to sell. But I have been schooled on this, and I realized that's not what that was. It's a vintage shop. That's what it was, a vintage shop. This means there are valuable things there. And immediately I saw that, and I just had a little tug on my heart. That's the kind of thing my girls would like. It's the kind of thing like Lois would like. And there was a parking place right in front. It was very convenient. So I pull my car over. You ever notice how I'm the hero of my story here? Yeah. I pull the car over, and I go in a vintage shop, and I just found just something that I thought when Lois sees that, her eyes are going to light up, and she's going to be happy. And it worked. I bought this small, modest little gift. And then she, and I told her about that. I didn't tell her what it was, but I told her, I bought you a gift, you know. And so when I came home, she says, what about my gift? Where's my gift? And I made her walk out to the car with me, you know, and open the trunk. And, oh, it's so nice. I like it. It was just an inexpensive gift because I love her and I want to make her happy over and over again. And I want her to never doubt I love her. You think I'm a better husband than Jesus was to you? Blasphemy, I tell you. No, he gives us his word. Thank the Lord for that. And we memorize His Word. We study His Word. And then we, as we go through our life and we're going through whatever we're going through and we're reading the Word, He has a part jump out to us. It's like, do this now. Don't do that now. Try this now. That's the way it's like we're walking with the Lord. Your, your walk with the Lord, it should be like an ongoing friendship, fellowship, experience with God. Not something that happened thousands of years ago that you're still trying to decode. He's with you. He loves you. He's sending you to places. Last night I'm walking the dog, and I'm thinking about my neighbors. So I said, wait a minute, I need to pray for my neighbors. So I just literally out loud, I'm mumbling my neighbors' names. God, say, I, just, I, didn't, I couldn't think of anything creative. So I just started saying, God, save Joe. Save Connie. Save Jeff. God, save David. God, Save my neighbor, just one name after another. Save Michael. Save Karen. Because God let me see that in those nice, well-kept houses in my neighborhood are people who need to know the Lord. He gave me eyes to see that. Well, does anybody here doubt I could go on? And so, and so I have more, more to say, but I'll, I'll get to preach again. But just, there's just these things I'll go over quickly. Think about these things that will really help when you have... Eyes of faith. And, 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 there, and there would be some things I listed. Put on your spiritual glasses, your, your, your faith glasses, when you're thinking about things. You need eternity vision when you're thinking about things. Look at your things with your eternity vision through the eyes of faith. Another one I thought about was, you ever hear the old African uh, the story, the old African fellow that was praying, and he said, Lord, please... Help us never to have stone houses. So when he finished praying, a young man said to him, I'm sorry, but when you were praying, you, you, I, I was confused. I thought, I thought I heard you say, help us never have stone houses. He says, oh, yes, I always pray that. He said, can I ask you why? He says, because when we live in, in the, the, the huts that were made out of grass, and we didn't have doors, and our neighbors were always welcome, 
And they would come and go, and we had friends with everybody in the community. But then when we built the stone houses, we had to have doors and locks, and then we got a lot of things, and we had to lock them behind the doors, and then the things became more important than the people. So I always pray, Lord, help us not to ever have stone houses and things become more important than people. Well, we probably all live in stone houses, so we ought to, as followers of Jesus, make sure that things aren't more important than people. And when you have, how do you do that? Well, you put on your faith glasses. How about irritating people or troubled people or people that you just, you think, you know, they, they, like you just don't have a lot of time for them because maybe they clash with you or maybe they hurt you or maybe they're just like weird. Paul said this. He said, after the cross, and I'm paraphrasing, after the cross, this is 1 Corinthians. He said, after the cross, I learned Never to look at any man, one of the verses says, after the flesh. Just a little, uh, a little um, uh, difficult to understand. The idea is, once I, Paul said, once I met the Lord, the crucified Christ, then I never look at any man from a merely human point of view. What is he saying? When you see people, I see them with my eternity vision. So I like to think when I see somebody, especially if they're, if they're, what just happened this week? And here's a fella, and I, I ask his story. To look at him, you wouldn't know this at all. And I ask his story, and he just opened his heart to me. And he told me that he has been many years in bondage to alcohol and drugs, and it's just ruining his family, and he couldn't get free. And then he said, so I, and here's how I came. I said, uh, you, you, a lot of times when you talk to a guy to, to make a conversation, you say, so what kind of work do you do? Probably not the best way to have a conversation, but that's what I did because I was just lacking for this note to how to get the conversation going. So I said, so what kind of work do you do? And he goes, I don't work. So that was, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, okay. He goes, well, I'm, I'm recovering right now. And then he told that, that story. He says, I sleep a lot. He goes, but I'm clean. And I've been clean, and he named how long it was. Now, what if you just saw a guy like that on the street, and you didn't know the struggle that was going on in his soul for many years? You just say he's a guy that maybe he's too lazy to work. That's not what was happening with him. Right? He's in a life and death struggle for his life, for his soul, for his family. Help me, God, see people the way you see people. Help me see the stuff they've been through in their past that only you would know, Lord. Help me to see what, God, you're trying to do in their heart right now, even though they seem a little weird or irritating or they're not my favorite or whatever, or they don't like me or they're mean to me or whatever. Help me see what you're doing. When you have the eyes of faith, when you have eternity vision, you look at people and you go, what is the devil trying to do with them right now? What lies is the devil trying to ruin them with right now? And then you think, and what is their future going to be like? just changes everything when you put on eternity vision. So years ago we had this... um, we had this uh, atheist, Robert Ingersoll. You ever heard of him? The famous verbal atheist. You go all around the country giving speeches about why there, you know, why there was no God. And he was actually pretty successful. He had a lot of money. He'd written books. People listened to him. They followed him. He had a butler who happened to be a devout Christian, a very simple, humble man and a devout Christian. And when Ingersoll died, this believer, this butler, Went to his funeral, 
They saw him all laid out there in a casket with his fancy clothes on. And somebody heard him mumble, poor Bob, he's all dressed up (laughs) and no place to go. That's what it's like. Unless you have faith, all the stuff you're doing, all the people you're meeting, all the stuff you're gathering, and all of that, if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, he says in Titus, the Bible says in Titus, Paul wrote to Titus, uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, he says that we have the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. People with faith. So when Max Hammer died, it was sad. When I went first to see him, I thought, he doesn't look good at all. And his loving family all just gathered in there and hovered around him and prayed for him and loved on him and listened to him and had hopes that he would rally. You know, his dad died just a few days before he did dad. So on the surface of things, and there's nothing that takes the, nothing that takes the reality away that death is a, is a bitter, hated enemy. And you see it happen, it's just not good. You know it's not good. And then when you'd go and visit him, it just kind of got worse and worse. And there was never a time in that whole time that I would ever say anything to any of his family members that they did not remind the pastor that they knew that he was going to be with the Lord. Would always say, I'm so sorry about your dad. Oh, it's okay. You know, it's hard on us, but he's with the Lord. That's because they have eternity vision. So bow your heads and close your eyes. Listen to me carefully, please, and I'll be finished here. I want to ask you a very direct question. There may be a few here who you're not a believer in Christ, and you've literally been trying to make it through this world without getting it settled that you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're going to return from your sin today, and you're going to repent of your sin, turn away from all of that, turn to the Lord, believe in Jesus and in faith, and ask God to give you eternal life and eternal vision. If that's true about you, I'm going to ask you right now to raise your hand up real high and leave it up, okay? I want to be saved. I want to be, amen. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Put your hand up, put it up. Anybody else? Let's see. Yes, okay. I'm not a believer, but I want to become a believer today. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Who else? Raise your hand. So, if you raise your hand, or if you weren't bold enough to do it, this is the most important appointment you could ever possibly make. Get with somebody who knows the way and ask them to show you the way. We have people all over here that will do that. They've been trained to do that. I would certainly love to do it, and others. Father, we thank you so much that we don't have to stumble through the dark, sad, difficult, troubled life that we're in without being able to see the future and how bright and beautiful it is for those who believe in you. Thank you for faith, for eternity vision. Amen.